This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Right there, right there. up. This is the game. It's a uh, cat and mouse. Smoked a turkey. <laughs> He is down. He is freaking down. Said he shot an absolute giant. Fall Obsession, baby. Welcome back, everybody, to another Fall Obsession podcast episode. I am Sam Thrash, your host for this week's podcast. And this week, I have two guys, two newcomers to the podcast joining us. Um, They are both field staffers with us and uh, big contributors to us here at Fall Obsession. Field staffers Rob Redmond and Nathan Koenig. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing? Uh, good, thank you. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad you guys were able to able to come on the show. Yeah, it's good to get on and be able to talk about some of the hunts we've had this year. Absolutely. Yeah, glad to be here. For sure, guys. Well, before we get into it, um, I do want to mention that this podcast is brought to our listeners by our friends over at Elite Archery. We are very, very pleased uh, to be partnered with a company like Elite. Um, I know I'm enjoying my 2020 cure that I've been running so far this season. Can't wait to be hunting with it. So if you guys have not shot an Elite bow before or are interested in checking them out, you can go to EliteArchery.com, see what all they have to offer. You can order Elite products, including their bows, from their website. And, of course, I always recommend that you go to a local dealer and actually shoot one and see what you think. So um, be sure that you check out our friends over at Elite Archery. Gentlemen. How was your spring seasons? Oh, it was great. Lots of action. Yeah, I couldn't ask for anything better. Quite a few bears coming through this season in the spring. Got to watch a lot of bears. Got to just get out there and see what there was. So it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, guys, I, I am, I'm from Texas. I am not a, a bear hunter, although I very much would like to be one day. I, I can't say that I've checked that off my bucket list. So I... I know we want to talk about some spring bear hunting, talk about your seasons and your experiences this year, but I'm going to kind of just steer the conversation and I'm going to learn with our listeners um, from you guys since, since you're the experts here for sure. So sounds good. So 
kind of give me an idea. Walk walk me into into the star of this season. Tell me about kind of what what your game plan was going into the year, um, and and kind of your your own experience bear hunting uh, as you kicked off this season. Uh, here, like I, I've been bear hunting for a number of years now, so this year I was I really I really wanted to get out there and see if I could get a big big bear. That was my goal. I didn't see a bear that was that was just massive and popped out at me. I, I had no intention really of harvesting a bear this year, so. I wanted to put in the time and effort and really get out there and see what I could bring in. And thankfully this year it all worked out. Um, kind of got to knock one off my own bucket list and get a bear that was pretty much the biggest bear I'd ever seen in my life. So it was, it was great. I couldn't ask for anything better. Yeah. It was a lot of fun there being with Rob for that. And, uh, myself, I didn't really have a big plan going in this year. I do a lot of hiking in the spring, a lot of just getting out there and, uh, I figured if I saw a bear, I was going to take its spot in stock. And uh, Rob, he gave me the opportunity to come sit with him at one of his baits and use his bow. So it was a really awesome time to get out there and take my first uh, bear with a bow. That's awesome, man. So, so Nathan, you kind of you were taking the the more of the spot and stock approach, and Rob, you you hunt more over um, baited areas and, and stuff like that. Am I am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. What kind of so? What kind of preparation goes into getting ready for spring bear season? What What do you guys make sure? Where What What's your checklist? Where are you making sure it gets done out there in the woods before the season starts? Oh man, <laughs> it starts basically in winter. Um, big part of bear bait bear baiting, obviously, is just coming up with the bait. That's that's a huge part of it. Having enough bait to get out there and, and regularly bait it. I mean, typically, I feed. I, well, I, I fill the barrels probably every two to three days, and I'll usually bait them for about a month before I get adequate traffic to get the bear. The bears, that, the, the bigger bears that wake up start to come start to come up and get on the bait. So, typically over the winter, any kind of dry food scraps that you can come across, cereals, old bread, bagels, donuts, whatever you can freeze and stock up ahead of time, it saves you it saves you a lot of hassle in the end. You'll have a big supply. I mean. In a two to three day period, if you you had an active bait site, you could have 100 pounds of food gone in basically 48 hours. So over the winter, I'm finding sources for food. Um, Grease is a big part of baiting as well. It brings in a strong scent. You pour it on the ground, it gets all over the bear's paws. They track that scent around so other bears come in. Typically, any friends I know that have fryer oil, stuff like that, you're kind of piling it up and putting it in bins and just preparing for the spring season. So a huge part of it for me is just trying to get enough bait that it's not as big of a financial hit come baiting season yeah absolutely wow yeah for spot and stock it's it's basically all about putting boots on the ground there's a there's a lot of bears around you got to look for you know uh, the grassy hills and just keep out keep on the ground keep hiking i put in probably at least 25 kilometers this spring without a whole lot of luck but for me it's also i'm not only just spring bear hunting i'm also like pre-scouting for the fall looking for deer trails and all that stuff so it's kind of a combination for me gotcha so so when you're when you're out there spot and stalking and, and you're or, or scouting preparing for kind of the the spot and stock aspect of bear hunting for me as an outsider looking in I, I feel like it would be more difficult to to kind of tell one pair from the other are, are there ways that you can tell like your your target bears or is that even a thing or or what areas they're particularly in uh i don't my question might not be making a lot of sense but <laughs> no it, it it does uh 
field judging bears is super hard. Um, when you have a bait, you get to look at a lot of different bears. You get to look at them from 20 yards away. So when you're spotting stock, you're, uh, you have a, definitely have a harder time judging a bear. A uh, good, good judge of bear's size is a crease on the head, uh, small ears. If you have any kind of way to judge the heights of their shoulders. Uh, when, yeah, like I said, when you're, when you're at a, a bait, it's, it's not any easier baiting, but you, you, you have a little bit better opportunity to look at the bears and take your time. And, and definitely when you're, you're spot and stalking, um, the sows, they'll tend to wander off from the cubs to look for food sources and stuff and just leave them. So you could get onto some tracks and get onto what you think is a decent-sized bear and start stalking it and get there and find out it has cubs, and then you've just basically spent a whole lot of time and effort for no reason. you got to start back at square one. Yes. So it's definitely a lot more, a lot more work. Yeah, you might glass a bear that's a mile and a half off, and they have small cubs that so you never see them until you're up close. You might spend a couple hours hiking in, and you get there, and there's there's cubs, so you kind of wasted your afternoon. Gotcha. So again, a novice looking in here, I, I'm assuming you guys are are only hunting the males primarily. There is is there really a, a season for sows, or or are you are you primarily hunting the male the male bear? Yeah, where we hunt, it's it's open for sows, but it's illegal to, to harvest a sow with cubs. Okay. So if it's a dry sow, you can harvest it, but typically, obviously, we try to, we try to avoid harvesting a sow. That's understandable for sure. So so tell us tell us about this year. Tell us about about these hunts, about these these uh, these success stories that you guys have from from your hunts this year. Yeah, um, for, really, this season was almost a write off for me. Um, our area up here. In northern Alberta, we had a massive flood that kind of put thousand homes underwater here, and I was one of them. So I was oh, kind of in the middle of moving around, trying to recover our home and all that kind of stuff. So I'd kind of given up on the bear season after I'd already put a month of effort in. And Nathan called me and kind of talked me back into it. He's like, you got some spare time. You already put all the effort in. He's like, let's just go out and see what we can do with what you've already established. So he kind of put me back on the right track, and we got back into it. But... uh yeah, like out out here, the bear densities are huge, and it's when you get out there and you got three, four bears on your bait, it's really easy to to misjudge and take one that's smaller. So you got to kind of put the time in and sit in the stand. And this year, since we wanted to have a little more space and do a couple new things we hadn't done before, we decided to hunt from a ground blind. Um, in addition, the area we were in had a forest fire about five years ago, so a lot of the trees weren't exactly trees you want to be up in a stand in. Yeah, a lot of a lot of swaying trees that have the high potential to fall over. So we took the, the ground blind approach. And let me tell you, that was a, that was a whole different rush this year, being on the ground 20 yards away from a bear staring at you. Oh, I imagine so. I, I can't even imagine. <laughs> it definitely added a new element to the hunt. And it made it, it made it a lot more exciting. I'm kind of, I think I'm left and by myself. I'm pretty much hooked in hunting out of a ground blind now. Yeah. It's really hard to beat the, the excitement of hunting out of a ground blind. We had one bear come in, at first, we thought he was charging at us, but he was, I think he was running from another bear. He came to about five feet away, and that was, uh, definitely gets your heart pumping. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and he, he didn't have a care in the world that we were there. So, so Rob, you said, you said at the, at the beginning of this episode, um, that the bear that you killed this year, and, and, and forgive me for, for not remembering exactly, did you say it was one of the biggest or the biggest bear that you've shot up till now? Oh, it was it, hands down the biggest I've shot, and it's probably the biggest I've actually ever came across, even in just in passing. Like up here, it's not 
it's not uncommon to see bears when you're out in the boat, especially if you're hunting moose or hunting deer. You'll generally see see bears throughout your time in the bush. And between all my time hunting bears and any other animals I've hunted out here, that was by far the largest black bear I've ever seen personally. Wow. So, so did you did you know he was in the area, or was it a surprise for you when you first saw him? No, I, I definitely knew he was in the area. So when I'm when I'm baiting, I'm running trail cameras and we're checking them and uh, checking the times and whatnot that the bears are actually coming in. So when you're sitting, you kind of allocate your times, your sitting times to around the same times that you're patterning these bears. And he was only coming at night. So typically, of a large bear, they get large for a reason. They're smart. So the large bears will come in feed at night and make the smaller bears have to come out in the daylight meet. So I'd seen him seen him on the cameras every basically every time I baited it, he'd come out at night. And we knew he was there, but we just hadn't hadn't seen him yet during the daytime. Definitely exciting seeing that big bear come in. The reactions from the other bears is is unreal. I imagine you think that uh you see two bears they're fighting fighting over the barrel. But you know I mean they're aggressive towards each other. And this bear come in from he was probably still 200 yards out, and these bears bolted as fast as they could get out of there. Wow. Yeah, as soon as, soon as they caught scent of, of that larger boar coming in, they didn't look back. They were running in opposite directions. Like They knew just from the scent of him, the size of him, and they, they didn't want any part of it. Wow. Yeah, it was wild. I imagine, and, and, and I'm relating it to something I, I, I know, and really the only thing I know, but I imagine it's kind of like, you know, down here in Texas, at least, we're, we're allowed to, to bait for deer, and I imagine it's it's similar to having does and, and younger bucks under on a bait or on a food plot or something like that, and then all of a sudden you have a dominant buck walk in. I, I can, I, I guess that's what I'm relating it to <laughs> on my end from a guy oh, yeah. that has no experience, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's basically the exact same thing. The big boar comes in, pushes them off, and lets them know that it's his. Gotcha. They know not to waste their time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, we 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 baited it for well, I, I, we baited it for probably about a month, going out every two to three days, making sure we had you know a good good amount of bears coming out so we could judge what was in the area, and then we made the decision to do the first sit, uh, so Nathan could tempt for an archery bear, and. Uh, and we sat for that one. It was probably what an hour, two hours. I think it was half. Action. I think it was half hour only. But when we saw the first first bear, I think when the first bear came out, when we sat, when Nathan was bow hunting, I looked over and I thought I saw a burnt log for a while, sitting there probably for about twenty minutes. And then we we kept watching the bait and looking around in the ground blind, kind of doing your three sixty, seeing what's around you. We had the blind up against a large piece of deadfall to kind of protect our backside, so we didn't have to worry about anything sneaking up from directly behind us. And then I kind of glanced back over, and what I thought was a burnt log was now gone. And then I looked at Nathan, and I was like, I think we got some action. I was like, there's a log missing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty It was pretty exciting. I mean, then they come from they come from the side of you, so you're kind of looking over your shoulder. He disappeared what seemed to be behind us. So you're in a ground blind, and you can't see behind you. You're kind of, you know, wondering where did this bear go now. You're kind of on, on your toes, heads on a swivel. But he ended up coming out, coming out in front of us. So it was, it was pretty exciting. Absolutely. How far away did you say you shot him? Uh, I think we ranged, we ranged the shot at twenty-three yards. Wow, man, that that that's awesome that you're able to, able to check off a, a, a bear with a bow and at a range like that, man. That that's that's cool. Yeah, I, I haven't bow hunted in, I think at least six years, 
So uh, Rob asked me if I wanted, and I, I have shot a few bears in the past with a rifle, so I'd, if I was going to shoot another one, I really wanted to use a bow. So Rob gave me the opportunity to come out and shoot his bow. And uh, it was kind of like riding a bike, so <laughs> we got out there and sat, and he came in and put him down. Yeah, now, mind you, this bow was completely set up for me. We went out the night before, uh, and Nathan took, I don't know, probably six or seven shots dead on with every shot and he was like all right i'm ready to go <laughs> when we got when we got out there it was through and through in one side through the lungs out the other side after not shooting a bow for six years wow that's impressive right there man it I... just made it just made me made me feel bad about my shot <laughs> <laughs> man i i know i'm i was i was thoroughly impressed with 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 both y'all sending in and those success those success pictures, basically that, that content after you killed them. I, I know Nathan, you had been sending some pictures from, uh, you know, kind of progressing throughout the season with some of your, some of your stocks and, and your sits out there, um, uh, earlier on and to see you guys finally, finally be able to put some down like that was, was awesome. I was, I was thoroughly impressed and happy for y'all for sure. And all, and, and then when, when my bear came, the, the second sit, it basically almost didn't happen because, like, like I said, these older bears are extremely smart. So when we we first set set up the, that evening, we were there probably I'd say forty minutes, and that big boar walked out, basically looked at Nathan and I in the ground blind and said, "No thanks." Turned around, walked back into the bush. Yeah, I, I probably spooked him off. I was fooling around with the camera trying to get it on him, and he he was smart. He looked right at us, stood there, looked at us, slowly walked off. <laughs> We thought that was probably the last time we'd see him. Oh, man. But thankfully, we had a few more bears come in. And then we had two boars come in, start fighting over the bait. So they were crashing around the food and the bait. And they were, I don't even know how you would describe the noises that bears make. But they were yapping at each other and chasing each other around. And thankfully, I think that commotion show, it basically told the other bear that if he doesn't get out there soon, there's going to be no food left. So that was probably the only reason we got a second opportunity, that particular sit on that that big boar coming in well i'm i'm very glad that you got that opportunity man because because that thing was a stud <laughs> appreciate it yeah i've never struggled with an animal before like we've killed lots of big animals we've killed moose we cut the hindquarters off tear those out individually but it took everything nathan and i had basically to lift up half the half the bear onto the log and try to hold him there you get the other half up so we get a picture of the size of him like it, it was a legitimate struggle i I'd say he's probably what, about 350, 375 yeah, pounds. Yeah, he's got to be 350 for sure. Wow, that's crazy. They're they're different animals to move. They're they're built weird. Not compared, to, they're built a lot different than a deer. It's hard to you can't get your hands around their wrists to drag them or anything. There, it's interesting. Yeah, I would imagine so. I never really thought of that before, huh? And to add to the excitement, so this the big boar that I I took with the rifle ended up going down. I would say probably. About 30, 40 minutes before dark. So we gave him, you know, five minutes or so before we walked over, just in case. <laughs> we could we could see him where he was down, so we knew he was not moving. Okay. And then we when we started processing him, we were we were tubing him out so we could do a half mount with with the hide and uh -huh. trying to salvage the meat at the same time. So it started to get closer to dark, and the entire time we were working with that bear, we had two other bears circling us from around the other side. So I'll be the first to admit Nathan's a lot better with a knife than me when it comes to mounts. So he was kind of, he was taking the lead role in it and I was kind of helping him and watching for those other two bears, but they wouldn't let off. At one point 
uh, Nathan had to take the, the shotgun and shoot a slug into the ground in front of him and still wasn't bothered at all. Wow. Never even flinched. <laughs> wow. We ended up ch- we ended up chasing him off, and then he came back. So we, we got the bear into manageable pieces and decided to hike it out of there and finish it at home. Yeah, yeah. it was pretty interesting. We had him sitting down watching us from both one, one front, one behind us. So it was, again, your head's on a swivel. You're, you're just waiting. We were, we were ready to get out of there before it got dark. Oh, I, I imagine so, man. That I mean, that's you talk about being on pins and needles and and on edge, man. That that's crazy. Yeah, it, it's just it's the nature of the beast when you're baiting because all the bears in the area that have been there, they know that's a food source. So now, and they've kind of associated the human scent, like the smaller bears especially, they associate the scent of us with bringing the food in. So now, like for the most part, their their fear of that specific area has kind of dwindled away. Yeah. So if you're not shooting at them. The young ones, they're kind of more curious than anything. And like, by young, I mean like a two to three year old bear because they don't they don't leave the sow until they're about two. But once you get into the older bears, obviously they've matured and come across humans, and they know much better than to come around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, that that that's crazy. I'm glad that y'all were able to to slip out of there all right. <laughs> it just it's the rush. Like, <laughs> I, I love deer hunting. I love I love hunting moose and big game. I avid waterfowl. Like, all so extremely enjoyable to me for different reasons but the primary reason besides meat for bear hunting is the rush like there's there's no feeling like it when you got a creature like that 20 yards away from you staring at you oh, just yeah. especially when you're in a ground blind yeah it's a, it's a whole different world from waterfowl hunting and it's a it's a different it's a totally different kind of rush <laughs> for sure wow well guys so so another thing and 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 I, again novice here and i'm asking novice questions but i have never i have never eaten bear before i've never heard how you cook bear before so can you guys give us some idea on some of your favorite recipes and some of your favorite stuff to to cook up with the meat um because because like i said myself and probably probably a lot of guys that that uh that listen to this podcast might not might not really have ever one thought of that or and and two have any recipes of their own so with, with bear, it's extremely it's an extremely fatty meat, obviously, especially when you you harvest an older bear because they they're obviously building up those fat layers so they can hibernate throughout the winter. The winter, so what most people do is they'll they'll skin the bear out and then they'll kind of skin off all the the, the fat, then they'll process the fat down to kind of by melting it on a stove top in a pot and create their own lard. And they can use that lard for cooking. They can use it. It makes uh, Water repellency for leather boots has all different uses. People value the, the the lard, sorry. Even if you didn't want it yourself, basically if you take it take it to town, you know anybody, someone will come pick it up off you. There's so many there's so many uses for it. But the bear meat itself, like personally for me, with the, with the flavor of it, I prefer it for sausages, like making Italian sausages, honey garlic, smoky mm. stuff like that. It goes really well. Um, roasts, ham, like that's that's what I'm most excited about this year. I'm gonna brine one for two weeks and then put it on the Traeger and make a ham out of it it's delicious in a ham mm, wow i've never i've ate, i've ate a lot of bear ham so this would be my first actual attempt on a smoker myself so I'm, I'm excited to try this and see if i can make it a successful one yeah uh same kind of thing a lot of a lot of sausage made jerky you can do the roast and stuff with the back strap ham uh stew yeah it's good for stew meat yeah do a lot of stew meat you guys do all your own good processing day. i assume too Yes, definitely. Yeah. Gotcha. I don't know. It's pretty expensive to have it 
done. Yeah, and I don't know what butchers are like for you guys, but up here, basically how you bring the meat is how you're getting the meat back. They don't really understand fully how to process wild game. They don't they don't take off that age layer. They don't take off any hair you might have missed. They kind of just cut it up like they cut up a cow, and that, that typically doesn't work for wild game. you got to know how to clean it and get the aged meat off the outside and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we, I mean, we have. in a city. Yeah. We, we have wild game pr- processors down here for like deer and, and wild boar and that kind of stuff that are pretty frequent. And I know uh, I, I've done some uh, myself. I did my Montana antelope all by myself with the help of, uh, of Drew Tordick up there. But down here in Texas, you know, I, we have a good relationship with Cinnamon Creek and, and they do good work. But I, I really don't know if they'd know what to do with a bear if somebody brought that in. That's not a very common thing yeah. to, to drop off around here. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, yeah. they definitely probably leave the fat on. They, they wouldn't quite know what to do with it. Yeah. Probably on, on, on a larger bear, I'm talking it's probably an inch thick. Oh, Especially wow. Especially in the fall. Yeah. You can't even hold on to them onto their hide because it's so greasy you can't. They're tough to skin because of that that fat layer. Yeah. You basically take take that deer fat that gets on your knife and kind of gets on your hands sometimes and multiply that by five, and that's kind of how your knife gets in your hand. Oh, Super man. slippery. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. But I will say one thing when you're, you look at a bear compared to when you, you skin it out, it is a lot smaller underneath that hide than you would think. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, well, I imagine so, for sure. Like once you get the hide off, the hide's probably... I'd say anywhere from 30 to 40 pounds of, of the bear itself. Yeah, easily. But that bear of Rob, his his arms and legs were massive. It was it was a cool sight to see. Yeah. The last big, big bear I shot was 12 years ago. So I kind of had almost forgotten about how massive they, their arms really are. I kind of regret not taking the bow, having him come out, because there's a good chance. I haven't, I haven't had a chance of measuring yet. He's frozen to take... The taxidermist, I just leave the head attached so they can they can process it properly so I don't make any incorrect cuts. But there's a good chance that he's over 19 and a half inches. Good wow. chance he could be Pope and Young, but I didn't take the bow. <laughs> <laughs> I think I used his last broadhead. <laughs> well, the real backstory, the real backstory on why we didn't take the bow is Tacticam came in the night before. And we were excited to try it out, but we didn't have a bow mount. So we're like, oh, we'll just take the rifle. Yeah. <laughs> and then we didn't. I didn't have it set up properly, so we never got good enough footage off of it. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it didn't work out well in the end, but it, it was a wash. But we got the bear, so. And the, the size for a, a Boone and Crockett bear is drastically larger. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, that's one of the, I think it's almost one of the tougher animals to get Boone and Crockett. What is it, 21-inch skull? 21-inch skull. You're talking the 500-pound bear. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, I I know the I know the feeling of just barely uh barely missing a a record book. I had uh my pronghorn that I shot up in Montana a couple of years ago. Uh, he taped out. I shot him with a bow, and he taped out at I think it was one. Uh, excuse me, it was sixty eight and one eighth, I believe, or three eighths. I can't remember. But the minimum minimum for the record book in Pope and Young is sixty seven inches on a pronghorn, and I didn't know that. I didn't measure him. I didn't do anything until I got him back from the taxidermist, and he had a cutter that had broken off. It was still hanging there, but it was broken, and I decided to get it repaired. And because I had that repair made, it's artificial, quote-unquote, and therefore ineligible. So I can uh, I can relate to one decision affecting you being in a record book. <laughs> yeah, kind of eats you inside. You're kind of 
yeah. second guess some of the decisions you make after that. You're like, oh man. Yeah, I I didn't even, and I'm not losing sleep over it. I really didn't even think about it until I did measure it. A bunch of my buddies were like, dude, you need to score him. He's he's a stud. And finally, I gave in and did it. And I was like, oh, dang, we might have some here. <laughs> yeah, they always have some little stipulation to make it so it's a little more difficult. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think next year we're gonna focus on trying to trying to get a record book there. There you go. Try and get a Pope and try and get a Pope and Young. Sorry, oh, yeah, and, and this year, as compared to other years, we weren't even as deep in the bush as we typically would be. Um, we had a off high road, off highway vehicle ban here for high risk of wildfires, so everything we did had to be on our back. When you're you're hauling 100 pounds of food in every couple of days, oh, you, yeah. you kind of don't go as you don't go as far in as you'd like to go. But if if the, if the weather permits next year, we'll probably be a lot deeper in the bush and have a lot better opportunity to get some of the larger bears that are untouched lured in, hopefully. Absolutely. Well, that that's a good segue, too, into kind of my, the next question I was going to ask, and that was based on kind of you guys and your experience this year, um, as you look toward next year, what how's your game plan going to change? Yeah, definitely you try to get deeper. That's, that's the key for us, for sure. Yeah. Gotcha. Deep, the deeper you can get, you can get you can get towards bears that have never came in contact with bait sites, never came in contact with people. Um, obviously, they're going to be much larger because they don't have any natural predators except themselves. The only thing that hunts a bear is a is a bear, basically. Mm. Um, male boars will eat cubs, basically, so they can get the sow to go back into heat, so she doesn't have cubs anymore. Wow, I did not so know that. That'll be a Typically, they raise them for two years, so if the boar can kill them when they're small, she'll be ready to go again next year, basically. So they prey on they prey on the, the cubs, but besides humans, they have no natural predators here. So you can get to where humans don't typically get to them. That's where you're going to get to the very large boars. And up here, we have an abundance of natural vegetation for them, like especially blueberries. We have blueberries, wild, raspberries. We have, yeah, we have wild blueberries, wild uh, raspberries, basically anywhere you go, and they, they can just eat those and get massive, so... Yeah, that's that's uh that's crazy. I did not know that um that was part of a, a boar's behavior was to to prey on the cubs like that. That's that's interesting. Yeah, typically like if you see cubs in a tree, like if you're driving by and just happen to see them or you're walking, it's usually because the sow is hiding them from a boar. Huh. So get them as high as they can up onto little branches where if the boar was to get up that high it it wouldn't it would break off basically so they're safe. Yeah. And they'll leave them there until they feel like it's safe for the the cubs to come down wow yeah crazy pretty amazing how how high and fast they can get up a tree too <laughs> oh yeah you see videos all the time of them scurrying up trees next to hunters and everything i i would not want to be in that situation <laughs> <laughs> the one i harvested last year after i i shot it it ran i'd say about it climbed sorry about 18 feet up a tree before it before its heart stopped and then it fell down the tree wow that's crazy. Just his natural reaction was to to hide, basically. Yeah. Where this boar that I got this year, because he was so big, his natural reaction when he felt the impact was to fight it. So he kind of started barrel rolling, trying to bite his bite behind him, thinking something was attacking him from behind. But the bear I shot last year was a lot smaller, so its reaction was to hide. Yeah, it was. It was actually a. It was my first archery bear, but it was also my first bear I shot off of bait. So I haven't spent a, a huge amount of time at bait. I've, I baited for a couple of years, but I, I didn't have time to sit myself many times because when I baited was when we had a big fire go through Fort McMurray and it burned down. 
I had two tree stands burned, all my cameras, all my barrels, everything burned. So I, that's kind of when I shut her down on baiting for a couple of years because it's a, you know it's a lot of work to lose that. And I started going back into just hiking around, spotting stock, and it was yeah. pretty pretty awesome to sit there for. We sat, I think, how many hours do you think we sat for your bear? Six or seven hours. Yeah, so we sat for six or seven hours, and there was you know probably only an hour of that that we weren't looking at a bear. So it was. It's really exciting, a lot of fun. Absolutely, wow. And, and and definitely the biggest like pro to a to a baiting situation versus spot and stock is obviously it's easy to make an ethical shot whether you're using bow or gun because you have the time, you can wait for them to be broadside, you can you, you're very close, so it's easy to make an ethical shot and put the animal down, and it's extremely easy to pick the animal you want. So you're not going to mistake a sow with cubs for a boar and. You know, I mean, those kind of mistakes that are very easy to make. Because basically, when any bear is standing head on with you, the bear looks massive. It's not until the bear turns broadside that you realize the true size of it. Hmm. Yeah, there was a couple times when another bear came in and we were, we were, we were debating, like, is that the one? Is that the one? Because when they're looking right at you, they, they basically all look big. <laughs> <laughs> you got to really look look at their ears, look at how big their eyes are. They got little bitty, itty bitty eyes and small ears, you know, they got a big head. And that, that's interesting too, and and I kind of I kind of like the idea behind having to having to work harder to to tell what what's a shooter, what's not, because you know again comparing it to what I know with deer hunting, you have a, a big buck walk out, and I mean you pretty much take one look at him, and and you know oh he's a shooter, he he's a he's a he's a mature deer, and and with bears yeah, I, right. with bears I, I I am learning along with our listeners, like I said that you know it's a uh, it's more of a process to be able to tell what what's what's good to take and what's not. Yeah, another way to judge is that you you have a barrel to look at. So when they're standing, when they're walking beside this barrel, you know exactly how tall they are. Versus mm-hmm. you're 200 yards away, spawn stock. You it's it's pretty hard to tell what you're looking at. Definitely easier to get a mature boar off of off a of bear bait. Not easier. It's a ton of work, <laughs> but easier to judge. Yeah, and easier to make a clean shot for sure. And for us, it's kind of it's kind of for me, it's kind of enjoyable because it's basically the only animal besides wolves that we're allowed to be. So it's, it's like an op, it's a it's an opportunity for us to do something we don't normally get to do in a season we normally don't get to hunt. Obviously, up as north as we are, there's no turkey. It's much too cold for that. So basically, the only thing we can hunt in the spring is a wolf or a bear. Yeah, great way to break up the the wait for the fall. So is spring bear season? Is that the only bear season, or are there other bear species? Excuse me, bear seasons. Um at other points during the year there's a there's a spring and bear season so you can actually <laughs> spring and fall season sorry so you can get a tag in the spring and you can actually get a supplementary tag so you can take two bears in the year yeah and the second the fall season runs parallel with our big game season yeah well i don't tend to hunt bears in the fall often because i'm usually busy waterfowl hunting and and big uh you know deer hunting so and yeah, that that's understand understandable. And and like you guys said, you don't have don't have turkey up there um, due to the conditions down here. Turkey is our spring hunting, and it, it's kind of the same way. We have a fall season where we can shoot some, but I tend to gravitate more toward if I'm going to chase a turkey, I'm going to do it in spring because I'm focused on deer and and other stuff during the fall for sure. So exactly. We wish we had a, a turkey season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're fun. They can be pretty fun, that's for sure. So 
you guys just mentioned, and and this this is not in my notes. This is just a, a kind of a, a thought that ran in my mind. Tell me about wolf hunting, man, because you guys mentioned that, and that's something that's always sparked an interest of mine. And what's that like? What's that like up there for y'all? It is the most difficult hunting you can do. <laughs> yeah, for really? sure. They are by far the smartest animal on our our in our country for sure by a long shot. Yeah, I would say. The best way is baiting for sure, but even then, it takes it takes a long time before they'll they'll start coming out in the day on a bait. They're they're smart. They know it's a bait. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 it's complete polar opposite in terms of setup versus a bear. When you're setting up for wolves on a bait, if you have the opportunity, you're setting up and you want to be at least 300 yards away. Yeah, you get as far as you can basically. If you're any closer, they're sending you, and they're not, they're not playing that. They're they're well aware you're there. You're not going to trick them that you're not there, so you need to make sure that you're far enough away that they can't scent you, and try through whatever manipulation with the bait you're putting out and the times you're putting it out to try to coax them into coming out during the day. Huh? Because you don't, you also don't just have one of them that's going to smell you. You have a whole pack that's going to smell you, yeah. and they communicate very well. Well, that that's wolf. That's always been something, like I said, that that sparked my interest. And and when you mentioned that, I was just I was a little curious because. That's a that's a bucket list hunt for me. <laughs> yeah, I I personally be the first to admit I haven't had success yet. That's one of my goals for this coming winter. Once our big game season starts, is to really put in some time. And like to add to the challenge for us here, you basically got to do it during the winter so you can get tracks and get on them because as you, like, the abundance of boreal forest we have here, you're not chances of just stumbling across their tracks are pretty slim unless they're on some big game tracks themselves chasing them. Yeah. So you basically got to set up in the winter so you can see them in the snow, and then once you're setting them up, once you're setting up in the winter in the snow, usually you got two to three feet of snow to deal with. Yeah. So you're not just getting in there at the quad, or you, you basically need a snowmobile or tracks on your machine, and then you're dealing with temperatures in minus thirty degrees Celsius. Wow. So you don't want you want to get out as far as you can, but you also don't want to be uh, break down and get stuck out there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Wow, man. Y'all... So we, we can bait. Sorry, we can no. bait for wolves anytime there's a big game season open. Gotcha. So there is actually quite a bit of a season you can hunt them, but it's it's pretty difficult. Gotcha. Yeah, the, the friend the, the friends of mine that have had success so far, have, it's basically been spot and stalk just by coincidence. They've been out hunting for other big game, happen to see one at a long distance, and they they make the the move to try to close the distance and get a shot. Oh, wow. Yeah. My previous. Um, employer he he shot one out they, he was just traveling down a cut line and he had i think it was four wolves cross cut line in front of him and he actually shot two of them oh wow and the the one big wolf when he got up to it was still alive and he was fairly worried about it so he shot it and it, he shot it in the head and when this this animal was measured out it was over a 20 inch skull on a wolf so Wow. I shot a 320 pound black bear that had a 18 and a 1 8 inch skull. So <laughs> this, like these wolves are monsters up here. <laughs> There's some monster wolves. His wolf would have actually been the new world record, but he shot it in the head. So it was kind of like your antelope. But they weren't they weren't able to score it. Wow. That, officially. That's crazy. So he has this thing mounted, full body mount on the wall, and it's just it's massive. It's, it's awe inspiring almost. Wow. Man, it, it's so. The one only time I actually had wolves come in when I was hunting was when I was bear hunting. I was up in a tree stand with my bow, 
and uh, I was by myself, and I could hear running down this path, and I I just couldn't understand what what is making this noise. And I looked up, and it was three wolves running down the path. Like to me, they almost sounded like a herd of of deer or something running down the path. It was so loud. Wow. But they were 150 yards away, and so I couldn't coax them to get over to me. I think they smelled me, so they they wouldn't come within you know 150 yards. I was up in a tree stand with a bow. But that's that's another pretty exciting thing when you're bear hunting you you could see a wolf come in and it's it's so interesting to to hear just y'all's environment not only the animals that you have up there but i mean like you're talking about with with snowmobiles and and getting way back in there it's so much different than what than what we're used to down here and and uh, it's probably second nature to y'all up there but man it's it's just it's crazy to think about sometimes for for me at least (laughs) Yeah, the, 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 I'd say the biggest change between there and here would be like the difference in what's public land and what's private land. Like probably, I think it's I think it's upwards in the high 60 to 70 percent of our province that we live in is crown land owned by the government that is undeveloped. So it's just boreal forest basically anywhere. Most of it's inaccessible because it's uh, muskeg, so it's basically water mud mix for you more or less sink out of sight. You got to kind of find access points that are basically old uh, well pads or drill sites and logging roads roads and going through those paths. But yeah, it's really, really hard country to access. I know Texas is pretty much exclusively privately owned, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it it is a a very vast majority of it is, is private. We do have some public land, some public land hunting grounds, but man just just hunting in general is so popular down here and and uh hunting properties leases they're they're hard to come by they're they're more expensive down here than than other states it seems like and because of that public land when both seasons not as bad but especially when you get into a general season where rifles are open and all that public land i mean it literally gets crowded sometimes and it's just it's not it kind of takes away from the from the the thrill and and everything that you think of really when you when you think of hunting so yeah it can make your life difficult a lot more difficult sir yeah here they basically abolish that it's it's illegal to pay any kind of compensation for a lease to hunt wow yeah you can't go to a farmer and say i'll give you a hundred bucks a month to hunt your land it's illegal that their goal was basically for that purpose they didn't want people to have specific areas that were high densities of animals on more or less their own control, especially with the outfitters. You'd have an outfitter who's making a ton of money off of uh, guiding. He'd, he'd be paying up, paying all the farmers to take control of their land. So let the average Joe get out there more. Mind you, I don't know how well permission will go this year with the current state of the world. <laughs> yeah. We wanted to do some spring, spring snow goose hunting at their other spring season. It's a little bit before bear and uh, that was our biggest concern is getting permission. You can't exactly go knocking door to door asking people Yeah. with the whole coronavirus thing. It's kind of, uh, especially farmers, you wonder if they're going to come out with a shotgun in their hand or what. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting times that we live in, that, that's for sure. <laughs> it's always easier to get permission if you walk up with, you know, your two kids or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely doesn't hurt your, hurt your chances at all. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. So, like I said, a lot of cool stuff, and I and I love learning about uh about what you guys got going on up here. Um, 
I know we're kind of we're kind of kind of going to start wrapping it up here a little bit, and I always have some questions to ask um, newcomers on the podcast, um, just to kind of rapid fire questions, you know, if you will. So, real quick, if you guys can, each one of you, what are some bucket list hunts that you guys have that you haven't completed yet? I'd say my number one bucket list would be a caribou. I'd, I'd love to get up north, way up north and track down a caribou uh for me i mean i guess it's kind of cliche to a lot of people but it's probably a sheep hunt in the mountains for sure both of those are on my list and when you go caribou hunting you gotta invite me because that is also my number one (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i know you guys have done a lot of a lot of hunting and nathan we were you mentioned um off off the air, off off recording, um, about the the whitetail hunting you do, and I'm I, we're gonna get you back on the podcast to talk about deer hunting for sure. But um, what are what's you guys' favorite hunting memory uh, up to this point? Each one of you, one one that really stands out. Uh, I think it was probably my first my first uh, mule deer with my dad. It's it's hard to beat those memories with your old man. Something you never forget getting that first deer with your dad. Well, for me. It's a toss-up, but I'm just going to have to go definitely with my first bull moose. They're just, you know, even watching them through a scope or spotting them through binoculars, until you, you drop one and you actually get up close and personal one, they're just such massive, massive animals. It's just all, like, it's, it's definitely awe-inspiring as soon as you walk up to it and you realize how big that animal truly is. So that was probably the most the most memorable for me. Yeah, it doesn't matter how many you've seen, every time you walk up to one, you're like, wow, this is big. <laughs> I imagine so, man. That 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 is absolutely awesome. So, last question for you guys. Um, we've talked about spring bear hunting. We've kind of recapped your season. We've talked about a lot of stuff that goes into it. If you had to give one piece of big advice to somebody um, who is new to spring bear hunting, if I was to go out there with you, being the novice that I am, what would be probably the biggest piece of advice that you would want to tell somebody first? Be patient. My first year, definitely, I had baits out for a week, and I was ready to kill a bear. And I learned this year and previous years to put the time in. Don't shoot the first thing that comes in looks big. Just keep watching, pay attention, see what you have coming into your your specific spot, and and take the time to sit there and watch them. Because you you very well could shoot a bear, and then as you're walking out, see one twice the size on the way out. Patience is definitely, definitely key. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta agree with you there. It's, it's, it's easy to get excited when that first one walks in, but just yeah, have patience, wait it out. Uh, get out cameras, so you can, so you can really judge the kind of the bears that are coming in. Have a look at a lot of pictures for the, for the vital zones. Because vital zones are different on bears too. But just do a bit of study and research. All good advice. All very sound advice. Well, gentlemen, I very much appreciate you guys taking time out of your evening to to jump on here with me and uh, and come on the podcast. It's it's been awesome talking to you guys and hearing about it. Um, it's something that not in at least down in my neck of the woods, not a lot of people get to experience. So it's really cool to hear hear stories about about stuff like this. So I really appreciate you guys coming on. Yeah, thanks a lot for having us. Yeah, appreciate, appreciate it. Appreciate you having us on. 
you guys and and before we before we conclude also you guys do have um your own in addition to being contributors to fall obsession you guys both do have your own um kind of your own social media platforms where you share your hunting and outdoor experiences before we wrap up do you want to tell our listeners how they can where they can go to find you guys on on social media uh yeah you can find me on youtube and instagram as northern game pursuit uh, we got a couple awesome videos of these two hunts up on there so definitely go and check them out absolutely and you can definitely follow me on instagram uh berta b-e-r-t-a dot dream yeah it's kind of a play on words on our province here inside joke <laughs> <laughs> awesome well and, and that was another thing i was going to say is is uh both of these hunts that we've that we've kind of mainly um wrapped this conversation around um, you guys did get on video and, and like you said, Nathan, they're on your, on your channel there. So, um, for those of you listeners that, that want to go check them out, I, I encourage you guys to do that and, and see the hunts that these guys are talking about. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you guys again for, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thank not, you very much. Not a problem. Guys, hope you guys enjoyed listening to this fall obsession podcast episode. If you have not already, Go to social media, follow Fall Obsession on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. We've got a lot of awesome content on there for you guys. And subscribe to this podcast. Follow along. We're bringing out a new episode every week. We're getting uh, a lot more diversity on here with guys like Rob and Nathan uh, joining us. I guarantee you these two guys are going to be back on here with us uh, in the very near future. And, and like they just mentioned, go follow their own pages as well. That way you can follow along with their journey up north. So thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed, and we will see you back next week on another episode of Fall Obsession Podcast. or where you think they are. Any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.